And when you learn that you're not the only one doing this, but you're tied into a community because of the technology, suddenly that feeling of overwhelm becomes one of empowerment. Welcome to Midlife Mixtape, the podcast. I'm Nancy Davis Coe, and we're here to talk about the years between being hip and breaking one. Where do I belong? Tell me why I'm here and what's taking this long. When can I move on? I'm ready. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash midlife mixtape. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash midlife mixtape for your free audiobook. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Midlife Mixtape Podcast. I'm Nancy, and uh, we are on episode number 14 of this show. So I just got back about 12 hours ago from a little bit of a sandwich generation road trip in upstate New York and Pennsylvania. My mom uh, still lives in Rochester, where I grew up, so I was in town visiting her for a few days and driving her around to visit various widows and stop at the Wegmans and talk to my aunt and do all the things you do when you're on mom's time frame. So that was pretty cool. And then my husband joined me and we were off to parents weekend with our older daughter, who's a sophomore in college in central Pennsylvania. So that was fun too. Kind of an interesting part of the world. You've got Amish people, you've got big Walmarts, and you've got roadside porn shops. I'm not sure how that all fits together there in Pennsylvania in the Williamsport area, but it's all good. Anyway, we had a lot of fun visiting our daughter, and there's all these different events. It's actually, it's very nice, but I have to say my favorite event the whole weekend was at one point my daughter and I were standing in this empty hallway waiting for her dad to do something, and I said, can I just hug you for a minute? And I just stood there holding my daughter, who's two inches taller than me, so I nestled, you know, I nestled my head into her clavicle, basically, and I just held on to my child for a little while, and it was the most... It was great. It's going to hold me over till Christmas when she gets home. So anyway, speaking of kids and parents, today's guest is someone who I used to see all the time on my street with his little kids, and he was invariably out picking up garbage with them. And I thought that was so sweet, this dad and his two little kids carrying around a bag and making my Oakland neighborhood look a little better. So I introduced myself and we struck up a neighborly friendship, and that little parent-child garbage-finding mission has now turned into a global community that I'm excited for you guys to learn more about and maybe participate in. My guest today is Jeff Kirshner, creator of Literati, a worldwide movement that's crowdsourced cleaning the planet one piece of litter at a time. Featured by National Geographic, Time Magazine, and Fast Company, Jeff has keynoted environmental summits at the Monterey Bay Aquarium and Smithsonian, at all kinds of leading universities, and he's also done a popular TED Talk, which I'll, of course, leave in the show notes link, and we talk a little bit about it in the interview. So to paraphrase Mr. Rogers, who are the people in my neighborhood? I'd like you guys to meet my neighbor, Jeff Kirshner. Hey, Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Nancy. How are you? I'm good. I'm so glad you're here today because you and I have been talking about literati since it was basically just a gleam in your eye. And I'm so excited to hear about where you've taken it since it started. How many years ago? 
The first photograph was taken about five summers ago. Yeah, it's been, boy, what a rocket ride. So Mm. we're going to get to it. And I want to talk also about what it means to be a Gen Xer doing something that is ultimately altruistic, great for the planet, but also very 21st century tech driven. But really, we have to start with the basics, which is what's the first concert you ever saw and what were the circumstances? John Denver. (sighs) I'm going to say... I'm going to have to go back and edit that noise out. (laughs) You know, that's my mother's favorite. John Denver is the man for my mom. But Uh, You know, he was the man for me as well at the age of five. Uh, I'm going to say we're like 1976, 77. It's the Spectrum in Philadelphia. I went with my mom and dad and promptly fell asleep. Oh, nice. So you really got a lot out of that. I got, uh, you know, a little Rocky Mountain High. I Calypso. That's my uh, karaoke song for 2017. I haven't sung karaoke yet this year, but I'm just waiting for somebody to give me the opportunity because I've decided Calypso really expresses how I feel for the year. What was the concert that you went to that you actually practiced free will to get there? Uh, That's a good question. I think it was uh, when Pink Floyd had its momentary lapse of reason tour. I think that might have been my first, please let me go alone. I don't need you anymore. (laughs) Nice. I know your kids are little and I wonder if you are trapped sometimes in the car listening to your kids' music. And and my real question is, are there any kids' songs that you listen to when the kids get out of the car? All the time. (laughs) uh, Of course, it's happening subconsciously. I don't realize that I'm singing, you know, the latest Taylor Swift song at the moment that I am. But indeed, that's what's happening. Yeah. There was a, you like kids bop? You know, I don't know that I like it, but that's what I find myself singing. I think you're going to be really, really happy when your kids are older and you can move on from kids bop. (laughs) Try some Dan Zanes. That was the... I used to buy the Dan Zanes kids CD mostly because then, you know, he, they would get out of the car and I could still listen to Dan Zanes and hold my head high. So there's a lot for me to look forward to. Yeah, there you go. So let's talk about Literati. And I love the origin story of this company. So do you want to share that in your own words? Sure. I was hiking in the Oakland woods with uh, both my kids and my daughter, who was four at the time, noticed someone had thrown a plastic tub of cat litter in a creek. And she said, Daddy, that doesn't go there. And it was this really innocent comment, but it opened my eyes. And when she said that, it reminded me of when I was a kid. I used to go to summer camp. And on the morning of visiting day, right before they'd let our parents come in, the camp director would say, quick, everybody go pick up five pieces of litter. And so all of a sudden, you had a couple hundred of us each picking up a few pieces. And within a few minutes, we had a much cleaner camp. And I thought, well, why not apply that crowdsourced cleanup model to the entire planet? Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about how it works so that everybody listening will be motivated to go download the app. It's a great, it's a great uh, way to get involved with what Jeff is doing here. Well, what happened you know, first was frankly a little bit odd. I took a photograph of a cigarette butt using Instagram just because. There was no rhyme or reason at that time. I I didn't really have a bigger idea. But I took this photograph and I tagged it Literati and then I took another photo and another photo and several more. And I noticed two things happening to me. The first was that litter suddenly became artistic and approachable simply because of the power of Instagram. Mm -hmm. The second thing I noticed was that after a few days, I had 
you know, 50 photos on my phone and I had picked up and properly discarded or recycled each and every piece. And I realized that I was keeping a record of the positive impact I was having on the planet. And so I started just sharing with people what I was doing on top of Instagram. To make a long story a little bit longer, that first cigarette butt has now turned into a community in 114 countries. We've developed both an iOS and Android app. And now there's this global movement of people that are cleaning the planet one piece at a time and through that process, collecting a ton of data. Now, this idea of going out and collecting litter is really straightforward. And I remembered when I was thinking about talking with you today that when I was a kid, my mom used to give Mary Beth Fitzsimmons and I a paper bag and send us around the block. She clearly just needed 15 minutes to herself, but she'd send my friend and I out on the, around the block to pick up all the litter we could. And when we came back and showed her our paper bag, she would give us each a vanilla cream cookie. And that was pretty much my summers for the first 11 years of my life. So it's a really old problem. It's an old approach to cleaning up, but you're really using the data in an interesting way. The way you've put this together, I think, goes really far beyond the old uh, Mary Beth and Nancy trash walks of the 70s. And talk about how you're using the data to move beyond just the sheer cleaning up. There's a, a much bigger aspect to this. You're absolutely right. And look, we've been doing coastal cleanups and neighborhood litter walks for decades. And when you and Mary Beth Fitzsimmons went around cleaning the neighborhood, you were both tr creating a tremendous impact. But there was no trail. There was no sense of data at that point. There was no indication other than what was in your bag of what you had just done. And there was so, certainly no other community. There was the vanilla cream cookie. I mean, don't discount that. That was well, a big that was a big result. But go well, on. Treats are a wonderful incentive for sure. <laughs> but what we now have because of technology is this ability to, one, connect with others who are trying to solve the same problem, regardless of how far away those two people are from one another. And two, a data trail. So you're able to the way Literati works is very simple. You take a photograph of a piece of litter. And then you tag it, i.e. Starbucks, McDonald's, bottle cap, cup, whatever it is. There's a geotag that's instantly placed as well as a timestamp. And so now you have this ability with every single photo to really create a story. And that story has all that data. And when you aggregate all that data from the entire community around the world, now you can start understanding what are the most commonly found brands or what types of packaging are we seeing everywhere? How do we map and understand problem areas or seasonal trends? And, you know, we solve today's problems with data. And strangely, this is one massive problem that has virtually none. How are you working with companies to leverage what you're finding out from all this massive store of data that's got all sorts of detail about location and type and so forth? How are you, how are you leveraging that? Well, we're starting to work with a number of companies and cities and countless schools. I can give you an example of a project that we did um, with a specific area about a company. So in downtown Oakland, there's a particular block that's just covered with litter. And a bunch of folks from the Literati community got together and picked up just over 1,500 pieces on this one block. And while I know that sounds like a lot, the reality is it's really not that much. When we looked at the data, we learned that most of the litter came from Taco Bell. Mm -hmm. Now, it's not a huge insight because there happens to be a Taco Bell right on the corner. But when, when we looked specifically at the data of Taco Bell's litter, we learned that most of their litter were the single-use plastic hot sauce packets. Mm -hmm. 
And we noticed that most of those hadn't even been opened. So maybe one of those packets only costs a penny in sauce and a penny in plastic, but we only did that on one day. Imagine if you took or measured data for a year and multiplied that by the thousands of Taco Bells there are. Now you have an ability to work with that company and say, listen, clearly there's an environmental problem that's being caused by your packaging, but you're also losing money. So how do we work together in a way that's creative and collaborative? How might Taco Bell not be the villain in the story, but the hero? So maybe they you know, install bulk dispensers of hot sauce, or they only give it out upon request, or they come up with more sustainable packaging. All of a sudden, they can take this environmental hazard, turn it into an economic engine, and suddenly they're seen as an industry hero. Do you get pushback from corporations? I can't imagine they're happy when you show up at the door and say, hey, we've got some data about your unopened taco sauce packs. It's a great question. Um, so, so far, we haven't shown up at anybody else's door. Fortunately, everyone's come knocking. Um, and I think a lot of it is when they first approach, there's a little bit of hesitancy because they don't know, are we here to blame them or shame them? And you know, as soon as brands figure out that we're not, we're here to really come up with a solution. Um, I think there's a lot, it opens the doors for a much more fruitful conversation. So are some companies that we're in conversation with a little bit careful? Sure. And, you know, we need to figure out how do we work together in a way that, again, is really collaborative because we don't believe shaming is the right way forward. That being said, we're not going to hide the truth. We're here to expose it and say, look, there's a problem and clearly there's a better way. Right. I and find one other it- thing just worth saying, not all brands that we've started working with have material that's on the ground, right? There are a lot of companies who are very mission aligned, who believe in, you know, sustainability and keeping community pride high and, and protecting the planet. And we're in conversation with them as well because they may want to, you know, communicate with our community or they run team building programs internally and, and things like that. Well, I think it's so fascinating that we've reached this point in American society where we're looking to corporations to help lead the fight against climate change and to clean up the planet because obviously presidential leadership is is has completely abdicated this issue. And you and I are talking in the days following Irma, which was in the days following Harvey, and there's all kinds of other things going on that I think for those of us who are really concerned about the health of the planet can be seriously depressing. And so it was actually one of the reasons I wanted to talk with you because I I think literati is one of those solutions out there where, you know, you think about the 21st century, big data, technology, all this stuff that, you know, you might look at and think, well, that's all having a negative impact on the planet on a net basis, but really it can be used to address exactly the problems that we're facing. And I find it encouraging that corporations are, it sounds like from your experience that they're stepping up to this issue of sustainability. Absolutely. And and I couldn't agree with you more about, you know, what we're faced with from a, you know, political climate and how we as just ordinary citizens can do something. And I think one of the things that we're hearing from our community at Literati and others who just find out about us is there's all of a sudden a sense of empowerment. So, you know, most people, if you look at something like climate change, most people have a hard time understanding what difference they can make, right? So yes, I can become a vegetarian or I can take public transportation and and I can take some of those actions, but I don't necessarily see the tangible difference that I'm making. Right. With literati, 
there's an immediate tangible difference because you've literally just picked something up. Your area right in front of you is cleaner. And because we're able to provide you with all of that data, which you know can be viewed and measured and mapped, now you have something that you can look at and that you can mine and that you can explore and share with others. And when you learn that you're not the only one doing this, but you're tied into a community because of the technology, suddenly that feeling of overwhelm becomes one of empowerment. Right. So what's the most prevalent thing that you go, that the literati community finds on the ground? What's plastic. the biggest plastic what kind plastic. in what form though? Let me answer it this way. You have plastic lids, plastic straws, plastic bottles, unidentifiable shards of plastic, plastic bags. I mean, plastic is so prevalent throughout our society that it's tough to know just how much of it is out there and therein lies one of the biggest complexities of what we're trying to do, right? Litter is such a massive problem that impacts our economy and the environment and degrades communities and kills wildlife. And now with all the plastic pollution in the ocean is literally poisoning our food system. So how do we start to really understand this problem so we can do something about it? Plastic is clearly at the top of the list how we begin to use the technology to understand what specific types of plastic lie on the ground and what we can do about it as a result, I think remains to be seen. Mm -hmm. I know you really like sharing this story and you've recently had the chance to do that on a, in a pretty major way with the TED Talks. You were uh, chosen as a TED resident. You want to talk a little bit about what that what that involved and what that means to you? It was one of the most unique experiences of my life. TED uh, runs, they just started something recently called their residency, where they uh, accept applicants from around the world who have, quote, ideas worth spreading, which is TED's mantra. And I was very fortunate to be selected. And so I moved to New York City and essentially lived at TED for four months working on Literati. And the best way to describe that organization is imagine just being surrounded by people who really give a damn and who dream as big as you can. And that's such a, a wonderfully nurturing and supportive group to be around. Um, so I was able to go there and really work on developing Literati into, you know, a, a global community, which it which it's become. And then uh, was fortunate enough to have Ted feature uh, my talk, and that has clearly helped take things to a whole other level. Right. What's coming up for you in terms of the uh, in terms of the application development and and the, and and what's next for Literati? You know, we're always trying to figure out how we can bring the community closer together and make the data more impactful. So from a technology side of things, we're going to start introducing and really testing features that do just that. Uh, one of the things we get asked for all the time is a group functionality. So for example, we're working with a ton of schools and they all want to see what their aggregate impact is, whether it's a group of seventh graders or an entire grade or, or a school competition. So a group functionality is something we'll do. We're also looking at ways of overlaying other data sets, both public and private. So you might imagine how interesting this can get when, let's say, for example, you uh, just highlight the Starbucks data. And then you overlay a map of all Starbucks stores. Could you start to understand correlation between where Starbucks litter is found and where Starbucks stores are located? Or what happens when you introduce things like topography, right? You might imagine that a Coke can will roll from the top of Knob Hill in San Francisco into the bay at a rate that's very different than 
if that same Coke can sat in a valley um, or things like weather and, and wind? How can all these other information sets that are readily available help us understand more about litter? So looking at integrating other data and information, group functionality, and eventually um, image recognition. So how do we make that experience for the literati community more simple and easier and more intuitive. So instead of tagging Starbucks and Cup, we just instantly recognize it for you. So those are some of the things from a technology side that we're going to be building in the in the in the upcoming future. And I know you've got a Kickstarter campaign in your future as well. We do. We've uh, been very fortunate to start collaborating with them, and we'll be launching something in. Uh, probably the early part of October. Um, and what's nice, and the reason we think that aligns so well, is that you know, Literati is really a community uh, of people who are all taking a small action for a greater good. And Kickstarter is the same. They're a community of people who are all taking a small action to realize a greater good. So we're excited to get that underway. All right. Well, let me know when that comes out and I'll be sure to help spread the word. You know, as you and I were getting ready to talk about this, I was thinking about how there have been a couple of books and articles lately that talk about how Gen X is actually the only generation that is able to save the world. And there was a book, I don't know if you saw this, came out a few years ago um, by Jeff Gordon Year. I think I'm pronouncing it right. Jeff Gordon Year. Uh, He wrote, Gen X Saves the World, How Generation X got the shaft, but can still keep everything from sucking, which has to be the best subtitle I've ever heard. Um, And then there's an article in this month's Vanity Fair, the one with Angelina Jolie. If you guys have been listening to the podcast, I think you'll know her as Major Mary Jennings Hagar. She's playing MJ in the uh, film version of her life. But the one with the Angie on the cover, um, there's a story called The Bestest Generation. And honestly... I hope Rich Cohen doesn't hear me talk about this. I felt the article was a little confusing. I wasn't exactly sure what he was driving at, except for the fact that he, like me, thinks Gen X is pretty awesome. But there was a line in there that really jumped out at me. He says, we know that most people are rotten to the core, but some are good and proceed accordingly. And I thought, well, I would flip-flop that. My, In my view, I think most people are good. Some are rotten to the core. We proceed accordingly. But I wonder if you... If that resonates with you at all in terms of how Gen X kind of approaches problem solving, approaches the future of the planet, we're all at an age where we've got children, we've got nieces and nephews, we've got, we're looking down the road 20, 30, 40 years and thinking, oh, what, my God, what are we leaving for our kids? And I know every generation does this. I try to tell myself this, that it is not just us, that my parents had to worry about the Cold War impact on their kids, and their parents had to worry about the impact of World War II on their kids. But it does feel like our generation is facing some really steep odds when it, in terms of trying to secure a happy future for our children. And I wonder if you think there's anything that's particularly Gen X about the approach you've got with Literati, just about the way you think about the problems in terms of tackling what's really a a hard facet of a much harder, much larger problem. You know, I've thought about this quite a bit. And for us, I think one of the things we're trying to do is meet people where they are. And what I mean by that is everybody today for the most part, is walking around with a smartphone in their pocket, which I don't have to tell you, has tremendous capability from computing perspective, from a connection perspective, um, from an artificial intelligence perspective, and it's only continuing at an exponential rate. And so when I say meet people where they are, 
given that Gen Xers are growing up, have grown up with phones in their pockets and are incredibly digitally savvy and are taking photographs at a rate that far surpasses anything previous generations have done, how do we meet them where they're at so that they can help solve this problem in a way that they're working together? Right. So because literati is mobile based, because literati is um, based around the idea that a photograph can tell a story and all this information can be collected with the snap of a button, we think that that's a really good first step. Is it the end all be all to this complex problem? Not at all. But if we can start to change behavior and behavior might be like people don't throw things on the ground, people pick something up that shouldn't be on the ground, policies are changed more trash cans are placed, things like that. There's no better way than to really make it part of what people are already doing, i.e. their mobile phone taking photographs. So I think that's how we think about it. It's early for us and, and we've certainly got a lot of work to do. But so far, one thing I can tell you that I'm pretty happy about is we've struck an emotional chord with Gen Xers around the world. And um, if we can continue to meet them where they are, I think we can create a significant impact. You know, you used a word a little earlier in the interview, you mentioned overwhelm. And it's something I think about all the time. I mean, obviously, climate change is huge, but there's also racial justice. There's also DACA. There's also, you know, what's happening with pick a topic, public schools. How do you convince people to stay in the game and not succumb to the overwhelm? Because I, I mean, do you get 76 emails every morning that say, here's your action item for, for today? I mean, I've subscribed to so many newsletters that will help me get focused that I'm completely unfocused. I don't know where to start some mornings. Um, so how do you convince people to just do something? It's so hard. I think it's arguably one of the hardest things you can do. Um, I think you have to start with answering a very simple question for someone else, which is, why should I care? To your point, there are so many different areas that I can put my focus. There are so many different problems that I can try and solve. There are so many reasons why I should not pay attention to the thing that you're asking me to pay attention to. I think just getting people to pay attention and more importantly, care is one of the hardest things you can do. So the way we approach that is, I would say, twofold. One, um, and this is so cliched, but it's also true, is with what we call stories of impact. So storytelling is the way people really understand things at an emotional level, right? There's a great old quote, I think, I can't remember who said it, but it was aim for the heart, not for the head, right? So if you can connect with people on that emotional level, that's a good place to start. Then you got a shot at convincing them to take an action, which is the second thing. And the way we try and convince people to take an action is providing them with a tool that is so damn simple to use and provides them with a feedback loop to let them know they're doing something meaningful and they can feel that either intrinsically or even extrinsically, mm -hmm. i.e. through rewards and things like that. Then I think you're on the path to making a difference. So those are the two areas we kind of focus on. Um, but it is one of the most, at the core of what you're talking about is behavior change. And I, you know, I, I spent my career starting it in advertising. And so I've spent a lot of time trying to get people to change their behavior. And it is one of the most challenging processes there is. But what I like about literati is it's, it really lends itself to being a family activity. And so potentially you're raising the next generation of children to 
Literati may make it easier for you to raise a kid who always throws the garbage away or picks the garbage off the ground. And in my case, it was a vanilla cream sandwich that was the motivator. But in this case, maybe because you can see where it pops up on the map or you can see where other people in Sweden are picking up the same thing. And isn't that strange? What should we do about that? You know, it's interesting is we are having kind of a bottom up, a simultaneous bottom up and top down approach. We've had plenty of situations where what you've just described has happened, right? A parent is using literati, they introduce it to their children, or they're using it as a family, you know, they're out in the playground and, and the whole family is participating. We've had just as many uh, situations that have been the inverse of that, where a school has started using literati and then but the student brought it home and introduced it to their parent. So, you know, it's one of those things that, like it or not, this is one of the biggest problems we face on the planet. It's not sexy and it's not a thing that a lot of people pay attention to. And in fact, I would argue that litter is one of the more underserved pandemics we face, which is exactly why I think it's a massive opportunity. Because if you can build something that people, that resonates with people, and if you can provide a tool where people feel empowered and it's simple to use and designed really, you know, beautifully and, and dare I say even fun, well, now you got an opportunity to really get people joining together to make a difference. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. Okay, so everyone listening to the podcast now wants to stop listening and go download Literati. Can you tell them where to do that and what else they should look for from you? The app is available for both iOS and Android. You, we would love to have you join us. And, and by all means, we'd love to hear what you think and how we can improve. And then you can find us across any of the social media platforms as well. Okay, and I'll put links to all that stuff from the show notes, obviously. Our wrap-up question on the podcast, get at peace with yourself as you tell us what one piece of advice do you have for younger people, or do you wish that you could go back and tell yourself? I'm never one to, I'm not a big fan of giving advice, but uh, I guess I, I'll, I'll take the liberty on, on, on your show and do that. The one piece of advice I would offer to younger people is don't wait. If there's something that really bugs you or something that you want to see changed in the world or just something you want to do, th there's never going to be a perfect time in the future. So don't wait. You know, now is the time and you'll learn as you go. That's great advice. Uh, also applies to karaoke. If I find an open mic somewhere, I'm going with my John Denver Calypso routine. I don't want to wait one more minute for that. So I would be honored to back up your vocals. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is Jeff. He saw him. Oh, no, he didn't. He was asleep through that whole show. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the program today. I really appreciate it. Love the app. I hope it has an impact. I know it I know it already has. And I just hope the impact gets larger and larger. And um, thank you on behalf of a person living on the planet that's messy and needs some picking up. I appreciate that you've done this and, and especially appreciate that you're on the show today. Thanks so much, Nancy. It was my pleasure. All right. I'll talk to you later. So I mentioned in the interview that Calypso is my go-to karaoke song of 2017. I should also mention I never go sing karaoke. This is all just in theory, but I did put some thought into choosing it. For one, it's John Denver, and my mom loves John Denver. And when I'm home with her, 
we look at her collection of John Denver CDs. My mom's got a little bit of cognitive decline, I'm not going to lie. Even as other memories fade away, she remembers that she loves John Denver. And there's a guy who comes to Rochester every year at Christmas time and does a John Denver. He's a John Denver impersonator. And my mom is his number one fan. Just kind of makes me laugh that even as everything else is sort of drifting away from my mom, she remembers that she loves John Denver. And I can relate to that. So that's part of it. Of course, it's a the song is an ode to science, which in 2017, that's important that we remind people that there was a time when science was not vilified. And third, it's an anthem that everybody sings along with. And if you've ever heard me sing karaoke, you know that that's a positive thing. Better I'm drowned out. So yeah, Calypso. Curious to know what you guys like to sing at the Yale karaoke bar. Um, and because I'm a huge book nerd and basically his advanced unpaid PR hype man, I will also tell you that if you like karaoke and you're looking for a good book about it, Rob Sheffield wrote one called Turnaround Bright Eyes. And it's really funny. So that's it for this week's show. Join me next time when I speak with Alish Pierce, who's been in the beauty business for over 27 years. As a freelance makeup artist, she has worked with celebrities like Queen Latifah, Ming-Na Wen, and the Obama family. Who They don't need makeup. They're fantastic. We'll ask her about that. Uh, and thanks, everyone, for all your kind words about the podcast so far. I've been hearing from people far and wide. It really touches my heart that you guys are enjoying it. I hope you feel good after you listen to it. I hope you feel motivated and inspired. Thanks, you guys. Have a great week. I don't want to be this. don't want to be that. don't want to give up. I want to give back. I want to be free by whatever means. Whatever you want from me, I will not be. Back. I wanna be free by whatever means Whatever you want from me I wanna be, be, be I wanna be I wanna be free by